Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, a very special guest. I've been reading through his book that he published this year, 2021. The book that he wrote is titled Talking with Psychopaths and Savages, Spree Killers and Mass Murderers. And his name is Christopher Barry D. Uh, it's a, uh, and he's written 36 books, so I'm not going to list all those books here, but I'm going to go through some of his background. He has a very interesting background, uh, particularly he is descended from Dr. John D., court astrologer to Queen Elizabeth I, and is the founder and former director of the Criminology Research Institute, or CRI, and former publisher and editor-in-chief of The Criminologist, a highly respected journal on matters concerning all aspects of criminology, from law enforcement to forensic psychology. Christopher has interviewed and interrogated over 30 of the world's most notorious killers, serial, mass, and one-off, including Peter Sutcliffe, who was the Yorkshire Ripper, Ripper Ted Bundy, Eileen Warnos in the, from the movie Monster, Dennis Nielsen, who was a UK serial killer, and Joanna Dennehy. He was the co-producer and interviewer for the acclaimed 12-part TV documentary series, The Serial Killers, and has appeared on television as a consultant on serial homicide and in the series Born to Kill. On the cases of Fred and Rose West, I've done an interview about Fred and Rose West, The Moore's Murders, and Dr. Harold Shipman, a notorious serial killer. He has also assisted in criminal investigations as far afield as Russia and the United States. Notable book successes include Monster, which is the basis of the movie, the same title, about Eileen Warnos. Dad, Help Me Please, about the tragic Derek Bentley, hanged for a murder he did not commit and was subjectly the subject of a film, Let Him Have It, and Talking with ser Serial Killers, Christopher's international bestseller, now with its sequel, Talking with Serial Killers, World's Most Evil, required reading at the FBI Behavioral Analysis Unit Academy at Quantico, Virginia. His Talking with Psychopaths and Savages, A Journey into the Evil Mind, was the UK's best-selling true crime title of 2017. Its successor volume, Talking with Psychopaths and Savages Beyond Evil, was published in autumn of 2019. In 2020, a new edition of his Talking with Serial Killers, Dead Men Talking, appeared the same year, saw the publication of his latest book, Talking with Serial Killers, Stalkers. But again, the title of the book we're going to Kind of covering, he's going to talk about his background as well. Again, is talking with psychopaths and savages, spree killers and mass murders. Christopher Barry D, are you there? Oh, I'm here. Awesome. Well, thanks for agreeing to the interview. For people, I mean, you have a very lengthy background, 36 books. For people who may not have heard your name, can you just talk about your, the arc of your kind of criminal investigation and true crime investigation and what led you to write this book, Talking with Psychopaths and Savages? In a nutshell, I was a former Royal Marine Greenberry Commando, Special Forces. Um, I've done some uh, counterterrorism work, interrogation work. Um, when I left um, the Marines, I sort of drifted in and out of different jobs, like we all do when we come out of the armed forces. Um, and then one day I was in a, a, in a junk shop, a second-hand shop um, in Southampton, and I noticed a pile of old times newspaper cuttings and I pulled them down just for the sheer curiosity of it and I saw the case of um, Brown and Kennedy were hanged um, for the murder of a police constable in Essex in 1927 you see Guttery. Um, I suddenly noticed my grandfather's name there he was one of the solicitors who defended um, Kennedy they were both hanged, so my solicitor, my grandfather, didn't do a particularly good job. But, um, they hung him, and I thought I'd write a book, and um, I did. I managed to get hold of the extended closure documents by fluke. Um, 
from Lord Chancellor's Department. And um, I wrote this book and I sent it off to um, WH Allen Publishers and I didn't get a reply. And I was in a, another bookshop, funny enough, in Southampton. And the guy said, I was talking to the guy and, and he said, I said to him about this book. And he said, well, look, I, I used to work for WH Allen as a rep. He said, let me send it in. So he sent the, the manuscript in. And Robin O'Dell, who's probably one of the world's, if not the UK's, um, finest crime historians and authors as well. He was a member of the, he was the sort of boss of the Jack the Ripper Society at the time. And he read it and he wrote a letter back to him and he said it was the worst manuscript that he'd ever seen in his entire life. It was, it was terrible. But he said the research was impeccable. Uh, and he said, would you, would you, would you like it if I, we wrote the book together and I give you lead title? And I was, I was amazed. And that was my first book, The Long Drop. And then that was followed by another Section 5-1 case that you mentioned, which was let him, Dad, help me, please let him have it. And that's the book that got Derek Bentley a posthumous pardon, made the film more or less of the same name starring Christopher Eccleston. It got Derek Bentley a posthumous pardon, and it became the Reader's Digest hardback non-fiction lead title two years later. And I swore, I swore I'd never write another book because of the pain and suffering I went through. But now I'm, I'm, I'm up there, you know, writing all the time. All right. So you're at 36 books. Okay. For people who don't know about the Derek Bentley case, do you mind talking a little bit more about? It? I'm not familiar with that case. Yeah, there were two lads. There was uh, Christopher Craig, who teen, he was about 15 and 60, 15, and there was Derek Bentley, who was a bit older, uh, who was a, had a, a mental age of about um, a 10 year old. And they went to a burglar warehouse in Croydon, the Barlow and Parker warehouse, and they climbed up on the roof and somebody spotted them. It was at night. The police were called and the police broke in and climbed up the stairs. And the first officer to open the door on the roof, PC Miles, was shot straight between the eyes. And that Christopher Craig fired the revolver and the police grabbed Bentley because he was simple-minded. He didn't even know this guy had a gun. His, his, his accomplice had a gun. And, and because he was terrified, Derek Bentley shouted out, let him have it, Chris, which it meant let him have the gun. Oh, I think that's when the gun went off then. And, um, and they, in other words, the police said that um, Bentley was inciting Craig to shoot the policeman, which was which was wrong. Then the police fabricated a lot of evidence and statements and they hung Bentley um, and Christopher Craig is now a free man. Oh, that's, that's unfortunate. So then you got the pro posthumous uh, uh, acquittal of him. And so you started, you have this long career. What led you to kind of reach out and start talking with these serial killers like Robin Gecht, Ian Brady, Eileen Warnos? Well, th that's another little interesting story because really, back in the old days, there were these magazines called the True Crime magazines. I think they were about two pound fifty or something. And and when I, I saw, oh, there's one on Harvey the Hammer and Harmy Carrigan, and one on Amityville Horror and all this sort of stuff. And I sort of started collecting them. But I didn't realise at the time <coughs> there'd be about two hundred and fifty episodes, <laughs> two hundred and fifty books. In the collection and and of course they're collector's pieces now 
and and I, I started to collect them. So and back then, of course, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have emails and things like that. And what I did was I, I wrote to people like Arthur Shawcross, and I wrote to Harvey the Hammer Carrington, and I wrote to lots of others, and I started getting replies. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. I might never thought of writing a book about it. And then the Craig previously mentioned the Derek Bentley case, and that was in Croydon. And a local TV producer down there called Fraser Ashford ran a company called Crystal Vision. And he interviewed me on TV, on the news about the Derek Bentley case, because it was local. And I happened to mention to him, I've got all these letters from serial killers. And he said to me, look, why don't we go out there and make a series? And yeah, fine. And I didn't hear from him for two years. And then all of a sudden, my father contacted me. He said, Fraser Ashford's trying to get hold of you. And I said, what does he want then? And he said, well, he wants to talk to you. And Fraser said, we've got the budget. Let's go and do it. So we were the first TV anywhere in the world to actually go into prisons and interview these killers live and let them say what they wanted to say on camera. It had never been done before. It's done all the time now, but at that back, it, back then, it was, it, we broke the mould. And then as a result of that, I, th I wrote a book called Talking with Serial Killers. That was in 2003. It was published. And I approached Virgin, who were my publishers at the time, and they turned it down and they said it would probably scare our grey rinse readers old ladies and i said okay well fine um they'd published some other books of mine and then half an hour later i spoke to john blake and john said i'll have it so and, that nobody, and nobody'd ever written a book with the killer's own words in it and then virgin called me back and said actually we've had second thoughts christopher we'd like to buy that book from you it's unique and i turned around and said sorry it's sold to john blake john blake published that I've been with him now. He's one of my publishers, but I've been with him for 20 years. And basically, that's how the brand, which is now a brand with WH Smith Travel as well, um, we developed this sequel. We've got all these Talking With series, but you've got Talking With Female Serial Killers, blah, 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 up until Talking With Savages that you're talking about tonight. Right. And I mean, so, I mean, there are whole shows right now, like Mindhunter is based upon probably what you started 20 years ago. That's all over Netflix. But uh, from your experiences with such such a variety of different homicidal people, what what's your kind of takeaway? What have you learned from putting all of those conversations together? Well, yeah, you hit on a very good point here because a very timely point. You're still learning. You never stop learning. I mean, you develop these ideas. Um, I'm actually working on a book at the moment for Blake Bonnier, um, which is called um, Letters from Serial Killers. Now, over those years, I I managed to collect hundreds of letters from these killers, different ones. Some are short, some are now executed, and I had them all boxed up. And then I was sort of I normally come up with my ideas when I've had a few beers and I I suddenly thought well, I wonder if I could put these letters into a book um, and again my publishers leapt at it because obviously they, they want more books and and then it what you're hinting on here is about learning what you learn from these people well these letters from serial killers let's say for instance um, uh, the happy face killer um, Jesperson Keith yeah 
up in Oregon. And and it's what what it's not what you read or what they say on the page. Quite often it's what's hidden between the lines or what they don't say or what they forget to say. And once you start looking at these letters in a complete you see you see this the psycho psychopathology of the inmate or the person in a completely different way so i'm i'm reading these letters for instance let's go to say jr robinson john robinson the bodies in the barrels guy on death row in kansas now i wrote a chapter about him and he he was telling me consistently this con man this evil man was telling me that he he was innocent although he pled guilty he was innocent and he wanted to do a, a deal and he wanted he said I, I he knows the queen and he's you know and he's he's got you know he, and and he started itemizing all the things he needed to cooperate he needed another team of lawyers he needed this, and he was quite business like but obviously a charlatan and he was denying that he'd ever been into sadomasochism and he he was into whipping girls and stuff like that but I set a honey trap for him. A friend of mine, a colleague, a former, well, she's now a former FBI agent, special agent, she was writing to him about bondage and stuff like that. So in this book I'm doing now, I'm showing the reader one side of this man who's blatantly lying, and I've got the letters that he was sending to this FBI agent. So, yeah, I mean, but that, and you mentioned that in this book, how often guys are communicating with fans or uh, possible paramours and things like that. So some of these uh, serial killers kind of like, do you get the, the impression that they like the attention? Yeah, I mean, they are attention seekers. I mean, that's one of the easiest ways for any of your viewers who wants to write to these killers and uh, you know there are a lot of people that want to and and you know great if they want to as long as you don't fall in love with them but um the one thing to do when you're trying to get one of these killers is to think like a fisherman think i need to catch this bass or something or this salmon what bait can i use that i'm going to do to hook it hook him so you need to go beforehand. This is where I was lucky with these magazines I had. I, I did a lot of research on their histories, their narratives. And I've, I've worked out what they liked and what they didn't like. And so when you present your bait, um, John Robinson was very cautious. He swam around it a few times. He sniffed a cunning. But with Melanie Maguire, the ice queen out of New Jersey, at the Garden State... That's another interesting one I'll quickly pop in. She killed her husband, chopped him up and put his body in suitcases and threw him in the Chesapeake Bay. She's quite glamorous in her day. She was a nurse and he was quite a, a wealthy guy. And uh, she went to trial and she was found guilty. And it, 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 she, she was a femme fatale back then. I mean, she was pretty, pretty petite. Everybody thought she was gorgeous, etc. And I knew that the world's media were all over her. And she's in this prison in New Jersey. And I sat down and I thought about it, but she was quite upscale, as they call it in America, quite classy. You know, I realised that she liked French food and all this sort of stuff. So I, I typed a letter on cream conqueror paper 
and I, I wrote her name, dear Melanie, at the top and signed it, Christopher. And then I put my doctor, my family D wax crest stamp on the bottom. And I wrote an envelope in the same Conqueror, expensive Conqueror. And I sprayed it with egoist Chanel. <laughs> and that and that that's what was the hook for her, huh? She gets this letter. She's getting dozens of letters in this stinking cell. She's lost all all the glamour of life and all the noise and the racket she's living in. And she finds one letter from England with an airmail stamp on it. And then she touches it, opens it, and she gets a whiff of egoist Chanel. Now that's a sensory trick. You know, you don't, I can't do that to guys because they think I was a bit weird. But with her, um, she bit and she wrote straight back and she said, Christopher, you must be psychic. That's my favorite. That's ego is Chanel. Wow. I didn't even. And then we had long correspondence, beautiful handwriting, everything else. And, um, and then, of course, ultimately you fall out with these people, you suck them dry and then you get rid of them. Uh, and um, that's, so it's this it's this approach that people have to look at and you have to be careful. And you mentioned Mine Hunter, um, the guys going in, they do their homework beforehand. You know, they don't just walk in and say, oh, I want to interview you. They they go right back. Right. So they 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 know who they're talking to. I mean, do you find that all of those uh people you've communicated all say that they're innocent? Uh <laughs> Isn't it strange? Most of them are. <laughs> I've you never could... met. I've never met a guilty man in prison, and I'm right. funny enough. I, I, I'm the only. Must be the only writer in the world that's trying to get into prison to interview people that are trying to get out. Right. <laughs> I mean, they all say they're innocent, and almost every like supermax or whatever, they all. They, nobody says, "Yeah, I, I'm here justly." Is my understanding. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Dougie Clark, the Sunset Slayer. I mean, you know, if you ever want, if you ever got the sort of idealistic sort of persona of a serial killer, go and meet Dougie Clark at San Quentin. I mean, he's absolutely crazy. His teeth are falling out. He's looking rough. He's, well, I went down with a film crew. Um, we filmed him for the, one of those TV programs. He was effing and blowing. It took me about 10 minutes to shut him up. He was swearing the filth coming out of his mouth. Um yeah, yeah, he's got a great hit. He, 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 you know, he, I actually believe that he could be innocent, funny enough. I've got enough documents to say that I think this guy's he's a mug getting involved with this woman, but it it wasn't just, it wasn't Clark. It was a, a guy called Jack Murray that was with um, this girl, woman that was doing the killings. But he's got a great sense of humour. So in that respect, I quite like Dougie because he says it as it is. He doesn't bull he doesn't try and smooth and bullshit you like Kenneth Bianchi and all these other he doesn't try and sort of walk on you. He says it as it is. Kenneth Bianchi was kind of notorious for that, right? The Hillside Stranger was notorious for trying to manipulate people, feign insanity or schizophrenia. Like he was kind of a more uh cunning, clever serial killer. Would you agree with that? Um, well, there's clever and there is clever, isn't there? I mean I don't know if it was Oscar Wilde or somebody said, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, he's in this prison, he said, but uh, um, he, he felt his intelligence was slightly above all of the rest of the other inmates. But on the other hand, he was stupid because he got caught. Um, Bianchi, people call these people intelligent. Um, J.R. Robinson, you know, he, he was a con man. He, he convinced the, the then physician for the president of the United States to give him a job. I mean, he hadn't got a clue about medicine, but he, you know, they're con men. They're sort of homicidal del boys. But 
we might perceive them to be intelligent, but look, but they eventually undo themselves. They can't be that bright. And if they were intelligent, why would they want to spend their whole God-given life locked up behind bars in a stinking prison? That's not intelligence, is it? No, they would they would be much more careful to not be caught, right? I would think. They probably yeah. had the the false impression that they would never be caught and then they got caught as well. That, that, that's because they got this extreme narcissistic personality. And that runs right through all of the serial killers, with a few exceptions. I don't think Alien Wernos had it. But you look at Bundy, for instance. Look out what a narcissist he was. Um, most of them are narcissists. They're control freaks. Um, and this is, what, this is what causes their undoing. They think, like BTK and people like that, they think they're better. They can outwit the law, but they can't. Right. No, it's really true. They really think they can get away with it. Um, yeah, no, it's incredible. I mean, your what your book on Eileen Warnos, who you just mentioned, was made into that mo movie monster. I believe the lead actress got an Oscar for that. What are your impressions of her? And she was kind of unique in that she was a female serial killer. What was your impressions of her? Well, when I wrote the book, the first book, um, talking to serial killers. Um, my publisher said, can't we find a woman to put in there? And I'd only very briefly met Lee. I mean, it was only just a five-minute thing. It wasn't a long thing. And I said, yeah. And I, I started to research a history. And, and I, as I started to read the history, I started drinking whiskey, believe it or not. And, and I start, one night I broke down in tears reading about history. And this poor girl went through hell. For, you know, a grand, a stepfather, a father was a, hung himself he was a sex in prison he was a sex offender her, her stepfather was a miserable bastard who whipped her with a belt stripped her and whipped her i mean this girl went through hell and she went on what the americans called a lamb she was a bright little cookie and she ended up in florida where she met taria moore and they fell in love and lee was a uh, an interstate hooker and the remarkable thing was at her trial um a lot of her customers, clients, wanted to come forward and give evidence to say, look, she was good. She was a good girl. You paid the money and she did the tricks and then everybody was happy. Um, but she killed seven men. And those seven men were like, one was a pastor, another one was an ex-cop. They're sort of like moral bigots. One was getting engaged. One was a, a, a woman beater anyway. And... And they started beating her about and smacking her around the face. And so she pulled out this six-shot revolver and killed him. Now, if that had happened in England with Peter Sutcliffe and one of the girls had had a gun and shot him, we wouldn't be all those deaths now. Right. And I, when I went down to Florida and I interviewed the cops, the cops, she never once grasped up Tareem Moore. Tareem Moore put her in the frame. Tareem Moore was... At one of those homicides she was an accomplice of a, in one homicide at least the cops did a deal with Taria Moore they bought new houses the cops a new car they stitched Lee up and Lee kept her mouth shut all along because she desperately loved Taria and she realised the police had manipulated her, his, her girlfriend and I felt that so tragic I felt that so sad and then they executed this poor woman and she was 
crazy then. It was no need for that. Yeah, I don't know if she was ever really well. I think she was like abused constantly when she was young, just all kinds of. Yeah, that's so, what I mean. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, right yeah. from the get go. Um, what other? I mean, do you? What? I, I'm kind of curious about the satanic. You were in correspondence with Robin Gecht of the Ripper Crew, and they were kind of like a satanic crew. He still denies his involvement in any of that stuff. What are your impressions of Robin Gecht? Well. <laughs> You know, again, I'm putting some of this stuff in the book. I mean, I think he's guilty. You know, um, people can protest their innocence to the cows come home. But, you know, I, I, one of the great places to go if you're thinking about writing or reading the, about these people is to, first of all, to go on the, on the, on the appropriate Department of Correction website and see their prison history, a little bit about their prison history and who they are. And the second thing is to look up the appeals. Now, most of these killers have gone through the appellate system, the Supreme Court system, something like that. And then you see stuff that you would not see anywhere else. So Robin Geck might say something about something, but then if you go to the appellate papers, you'll see the witnesses who said what, when, how, and further details of the crime. Um, I've just done a killer... I can't, his name, he's been executed. Just my mind's gone blank. Um, who wrote a really lovely letter to me. And I'll tell you what, it was beautifully written. There wasn't a spelling mistake anywhere in it. And, um, you know, you think, what a nice guy. He must be innocent. But then when you read the appellate papers, and when I said to him, well, tell me about the crimes, um, I said, you, you've missed, you've missed one out. You've missed, not only did you kill six people, but what about your girlfriend that you literally tore her womb out with your hand and, and, and poked her eyes out? You didn't mention that to me. You see it? You know what I mean? You, it's what they say and what they forget to say. Kenneth Bianchi, right. for, he, he forgets to say anything until you, till all of a sudden the FBI give you some documents that you prove that, oh, you told me you were a non-secreter, Kenneth, you naughty boy. But look, I've got the FBI papers here to prove that you were. Thing. Right. The omission. The omission is the greatest form of a lie. So they leave all that stuff out because there's a lot of like innocence fraud happening in the United States right now where uh, some of these guys who've killed people, maybe not serial killers, but people who've done murders, you know, they, they have these uh, women, weak minded women who think that or not not always females, but uh, you think that there's some reason they should get out. But all the evidence when you and they, they should go look at the appellate ovens because some of these guys are very nasty characters. I mean, the big thing in America, all the Innocent Project, you can see it on Netflix. They do a fantastic job where the police have fitted people up and, you know, all the bite marks. They've, dis they deb they've now debunked all this bite mark technology, you know, the Ted Bundy with his teeth thing. Um, they've debunked a lot of that now. Um, and But you do get a lot of, um, can I say, murder groupies. Yes. Uh, you get men doing it. I wrote a book called... Um, murder.com and and i went to russia and did some mafia stuff out there with and and um you know the dating agencies and stuff um men men are just as stupid they fall in love with these women behind bars and the woman sends them a, a picture of some beautiful russian tennis player and says look i'm in prison i need a bit of money and the guy falls in love with her and starts sending her loads of cash but if they had the intelligence to look up up the woman's doc details they'd see that she was about 50 stone had more fair tattoos than a fairground worker 
and you know, and there was one guy, one woman down in Florida, she was on Women Behind Bars, and she was raking in ca so much cash that the prison couldn't count it all. <laughs> wow. wow, that's amazing. Yeah, they're probably all getting money. Uh, yeah, in this book, this particular book, Spree Killers and Mass Murders, I mean, you have a background in the military. You said you were a commando in Northern Ireland, spent time in the in hospitals and you talk about your knowledge of guns, but you're also very critical of about Americans attitudes about guns and how, and their involvement in the spree killers. Can you share your thoughts on that subject? Well, I did a, I actually did a podcast with a guy down in Florida. He was ex-military as well. And, and he, we, we, we talked about this very subject about easy access to firearms in the United States of America. And, and he said, well, look, Chris, I can go and buy a gun easily. He said, but I, he said, but I know how to use it. I know what damage it can do. And the other thing, the big gripe I've got, and um, um, it's the fact that when the founding fathers said that every citizen can the right to bear guns, back then they only had flintlock pistols and muskets. And it takes three minutes to load a musket if it's raining and there's a can shed load of <laughs> The enemy tearing down at you would probably take about a minute to load it. You'd be shaking like hell. They didn't anticipate that a hundred years later, or less than a hundred years later, firearms would be like um, AK-47s. You know, know, they never they never planned it that because they couldn't foresee the future. I mean, when the Wright brothers first took off in that glorified kite and flew a hundred yards at Kitty Hawk. They, ne they would never have imagined that less than 100 years later, Concord would fly over the Atlantic at a lot of, you know what I mean? So right, no, yeah, you're right. The Americans, and then you get these Americans that, I, me I remember the Dunblane massacre, um, you know, Andy Murray, the tennis player, he was a pupil at that school at the time, and he's still traumatised with it for life now. Now, when that man Hamilton went into that class, that school, he had two... Um, Forty-five caliber handguns, the same as Dirty Harry had. I mean, they'll stop a Mack truck, those things. And at point blank range, he blew the heads off of those little kids. They've got an idiot on, some guy on YouTube is going, I've got, come come along guys, I, I've got Frankie's gun shop and we're going to go down today and we're going to show what the forty-five cal can do to a steel plate. And he'll stand 100 yards away from it and fire it and blow a hole through it. And then he has, he'll blow down the barrel and say, what a sweet little piece. But if if these people, look, they don't realise, you look at the post-mortem photographs of some child that's been hit in the head by a round like that, it's it's disappeared. The head's gone. And I, I think Americans really have got, I, I, I know it's going to be a sore point to a lot of people, and I do debate it. And a lot of teachers out there, I mean, the teachers out there are going wearing flat jackets and, and the a pistol in a handbag. I mean, my boy goes to a private school. They, they, they don't have that fear. We can go into McDonald's here and not worry about having the place blown up. The country's got neurotic. No, there's a lot of weaponry here. I mean, you mentioned it in the book, but you don't shy away from those descriptions. And I think that your style is important because the U.S. is attitude to violence is what they see on TV. So they almost have a Hollywoodized, fictionalized view. They don't understand the real brutality of this and things like that. You also make an interesting point. I didn't know is that the Second Amendment is based upon the 17th century Bill of Rights from the UK, right? Was, I can't Correct. Remember. 
Yeah. So um, it definitely it's worth rethinking, I would say, for sure, at least as an American. I mean, I do. I was against the red flag laws, although they Im implemented some red flag laws recently that I actually agreed with. I didn't actually agree with it when they passed that. But I don't know if you're familiar with the red flag laws there. If somebody's dangerous and has guns, they, the government can move in and take them away. Absolutely, I'm familiar with it. But the one thing that sticks in my craw is the fact that they bang on about being the land of the free. You know, the land of the free. Well, they're not the land of the free. They're living in a total state of paranoia. There's no absolute no doubt about that. I, I spend a lot of my time in the Philippines, not at the moment because of COVID. I've, I've done work out there with homicide police in, in Manila. And, and you know, I know the police and I know the prison systems out there. There has never been a serial killer in the Philippines. Interesting. In so all of history, there has never been a serial killer in the Philippines, period. Why do you think that is? Well, one, I mean, they do. I mean, I must admit, President Herity has got a way of getting rid of drug dealers. You know, like 15,000 of them end up dead. Um all, all because they allegedly brought a gun out and the police shoot them. I mean, they get executed out there. They don't mess about out there. They shoot the police, shoot them stone dead. But there is something about the the Philippine culture is very, I know it's a silly thing to say, but they're very much family orientated. They're very simple. The majority are very simple and poor people. They don't have a lot of what, you know, they haven't got a lot of like greed in them. And the further you come west, from 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 the Orient or from Asia, the more you come west, come to England and then you Germany, England, and then when you get to America, you suddenly find how materialistic societies become. I I, I go to Russia and you know they invite you into their home. They love you because you're a Brit. You know you're straight. You take a little gift off. You take your shoes off when you go in. They adore the British, believe it or not, the, the Russians. They adore us because of the little island thing you know in the last war and same in ukraine and they give you a lot of respect but that they'll buy a, they'll buy a kettle or a free fridge and they'll keep it for decades and decades and decades or a television set they have it for years and years and years they but they look after it because they can't afford anything you go to america and they're trashing stuff every five minutes It's true. I mean, it's planned. It's obsolescence and uh, constant consumerism. I think is really predominant here in the states. That's not the same in other countries. If you travel out of the states, yeah. I mean, your car. You get a new car every three years, at least something. Um, I got a couple of questions from the audience. One is: Do you have any thoughts about the hand of death material and Henry Lee Lucas and Kissy? I mean, that's a person who's had a lot of conversation with police and journalists as well. Uh, what what Henry? I mean, I interviewed Henry at Ellis Unit. Um, uh, it, that's where Death Row was at the time. Um, uh, I, they moved it now because uh, Henry died of natural causes. Bless him. He got a pardon from the governor, um, and he was ill at the time. When and so, it, with his one eye gunji and stuff like that, he actually said to me, "He said, look, this was, we got a, we got him on camera as well on film." He, he said to me, I, "I done killed nobody, Chris." He said. And then in the same breath, he said, well, I, I don't kill my mum. And then I killed my sister because she she said, I don't kill my mum. But I haven't killed anybody else. Well, you know, <laughs> whoever's asked the question will know that when he was arrested, 
the police came from all over the United States and saying, Henry, did you do this and did you do that? And they got, they got him new teeth and they got him in suit and they're gripping grins. And he was confessing to murders that were 200 miles apart that he could have on the same day. So the police are clearing up all their cold cases. Right. And Henry's in the lap of luxury. Actually, I've got some lovely letters from Henry. You know, he writes quite, he used to write quite well. Yeah, yeah, Henry was a good old boy. I mean, he only got convicted of one murder, and that was the orange socks killing, you know, the, the, the girl that was found naked in a ditch by the side of a freeway. He was he was all right. I didn't meet Otis Tool. I didn't get to see him, but Henry was all right. Yeah, those guys were a, a terrible, terrible duo, actually. Otis Tool and them, yeah, very strange. I'm not, I, I went around with my crew all around Texas filming locations, talking to sheriffs and cops and DAs and stuff. And like you say, they live in cowboy land out there, you know, tumbleweed towns. You know, I went. we went to a cafe in one little place where Henry was, what stayed i went to a cafe there and there were bullet holes in the outside wall and i said what are they bullet holes doing there what oh no that was well, this used to be a bank this would ronnie and clyde shot this up that we keep the bullet holes in walls. <laughs> texas is a different state there's no question about it different and certainly on some of the smaller towns different different uh, mentality a lot of people are packing a lot of trucks a lot of pretty uh, yeah curious outlooks do you think that there's any subtext or an agenda to some of these serial killers? Um, let me think about that question. Um, in as much as, well, most most of the serial killers I've interviewed uh, are sex killers, for instance. Um, you know, they're the sex killers, uh, Bianchi, for instance, or Harvey the Hammer. Other serial killers, uh, I mean, this is women don't kill for sexual purposes. Women serial killers or uh, black widows kill for monetary gain normally. Alien Wernos was completely different kettle of fish. Um, but uh, uh, there are men that will commit serial homicide for money. Um, J.R. Robinson was an American. Um, the, the Englishman I witnessed being hanged in Changi, John Martin scripts, he killed for financial gain. Um you know, robbing his victims and then chopping them up and stuff. But um, mostly the people I'm more interested in really are sex killers. I mean, Ronnie DeFeo, the Amityville Horror, he just died recently. I went to interview him. I got a lot of letters from him. Blew his family of six to death at 1112 Ocean Avenue in Long Island. He was a he fucking half-wit, half -wit, that man. Um, they made the film The Amityville Horror series, you know. Right, yeah, based on that. That's yeah, cool. uh, the house was supposedly haunted by. Yeah, yeah, it's all rubbish. That's all rubbish. That story. But the thing is, they're all as different as teachers' chalk and a, a lump of stinking bishop's cheese. They're all totally different. All different. And just out of, uh, out of curiosity, you are the lineal descendant of Doctor John D. Is that coat of arms that your family has? Is that traced back to D? Yeah, that uh, that was presented oh, to. By Queen Elizabeth the First, yeah. Um, so. but he 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 was this alchemist and and stuff like that. He, I mean, he 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 actually formed the, the first Great British Libraries, uh, Bodleian Library, for instance. Um, he was a well-travelled man, born out of his time, very clever guy. Um, he tried to turn but like that black adder thing, you know. Oh, look, I've got a piece of green, you know. He he tried to turn base metal into gold. 
And I always say to people, well, that's that, I've got Dr. John D's genes in me. I've been trying to turn pen and ink into gold for years, but I haven't succeeded yet. <laughs> well, a little bit. I mean, definitely some. I mean, you had the best-selling book of 2017. That's an accomplishment. But he also had that Anokian magical system, which is still around. Passed through Crowley and uh, Hubbard and all these other characters. So yeah, that's true. Fascinating. So, yeah, so I actually did a show on John D. If people want to go back and look on one of my shows, but uh, that's a very complex character. I mean, all his mapping and the way he, uh, very very curious, intelligent guy. People are still using his techniques to this day, at least magical techniques, as, much as far as my understanding is. But it is fascinating that you are related to him. He had one of the biggest book, uh, library in Europe at one point, I think, if I remember correctly. That's right. You're, you're correct. I mean, I, 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 I sometimes I've got these lovely pictures of Dr. John D up on my wall. And, and um, I, I sometimes imagine if I had a skull cap, you know, like a, one of those skull cap things on and a, and a rough, my nose and everything <laughs> looks like Dr. John D. <laughs> you kind of do have a, a resemblance. I actually agree with that 100%. I mean, he was, uh, I mean, his pictures, all his pictures of him is with, uh, you know, gray beard, kind of almost like well, a I want, you know, I want say, Yeah, I want to say something to you, and, and, and your viewers might think I'm completely start raving bonkers now, and I should be put in a, in a mental hospital. But I actually do feel, and I, I'm being sincere now, that I feel Dr. John D's inside me all watching over me. Interesting. And I really feel that power sometimes. So maybe, maybe it passes through the general. How many generations have passed from D to you? Do you know offhand? Not off the top of my head. I mean, the family goes back seven, eight hundred years to Roderick the Great, Prince of Wales, um, uh, and he was uh, he he came from Radnor by the side of the River Dee in Wales, uh, hence the name, not the Scottish Dee, but the Welsh River Dee, and it went on, and then uh, Doctor, I've got the family tree somewhere, it goes right back, but but then um, Doctor D. Uh, son of Bido D, had uh, quite a few children. And as you know, as well as I do, if you go to Mortlake, there, there's a church there. He's actually got a stone in the church where he's allegedly buried. You can visit his old, what's left of his old house. And if you walk around that loop in the river there, in the Thames, that's where Queen Elizabeth came up in the barge to see him when she had somebody sent her a wax thing with pins in it. And and uh, and and he, you can stand there, and if you're into Doctor John D, you can feel him up that because that's where he stood, really by the side of that little thing there. And when you go there, and if you're into D, you do feel it. Fascinating. And I think that there was some other story. He was in the library in Manchester and witnessed the devil. I think there's that story about D. There's all oh, there's a lot of curious elements to his life for sure. Yeah. communicating with angels, supposedly angels, or maybe demons, whatever. I got one more question for you, Christopher. I'll let you go. Do you think that it is a mental impairment that propels these individuals to commit these crimes? Could you say that again? You broke on. Sure. Let me put this up here. It's on. You can read it right on the screen right now. It says, my question is, does Christopher think that it is a mental impairment that propels these individuals to commit these crimes? Not serial killers, no. Very briefly, um, a lot of this is brought up at mitigation at trial or, or on appeal. Uh, my son, or Bianchi, for example, bad potty train, fell down, bumped his head, blah, 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 blah. You know, and a lot of that, a lot, you get this bullshit mitigation from lawyers who are blowing smoke in the, in the courtyard. What it, what it is, is these people know what they're doing is wrong. 
they're not technically they're not criminally insane under the McNaughton rules. In other words, they knew what they were doing were wrong. They weren't out of control at the time. And you've got to remember this. A person that's totally out of control would only probably kill once in a, in a rage, some fantasy-driven rage. He'd be in, that would be insane. He didn't know what he was doing. Um, and, you know, that's, that's legal insanity. But these serial killers go on and on and on. And they call down in between events, um, like Michael Ross. You know, he knew what he was doing was wrong. You can't claim it's suddenly a, a sudden insanity. Oh, I was mad at the time, but oh, I was okay afterwards. I went and had Dunkin' Donuts and um, talked to the cops. Oh, and then a week later, oh, I suddenly got, got insane again and killed somebody else. It's bullshit. Yeah, that's a great point. Really good point. And your website again, let me put that up again. Your website is all, your full name altogether is www.christopherberryd.com. So it's Christopher, B-E-R-R-Y, D-E-E.com, right? That's it. That's great. You can see a list of all your books and all the places you've been. I mean, tons of shows and things like that, tons of information. Is there anything you'd like to add or anything I missed before we wrap this up? Well, no. I mean, as I mentioned at the promo before, I mean, I just had the book published in Japan. I can't read it. Um, I don't even know what's in it, although I wrote it, which is rather strange. Um, all I would just say to your viewers, you know, no nightmares, please, and be happy and be nice to each other. and uh, But also be careful, especially the women. Be careful, girls. Don't take risks at night. Don't go and do silly things when you're drunk or anything like that because there are predators out there and they're hiding in the shadows and you'll never come across a city. Well, you won't know a serial killer until he hits you and then it's too late. So just be careful. Yeah, that's excellent advice. Really good point. And I actually really enjoyed your writing style as well. It's very unique. So you actually have a very broad frame of reference. You can see that. I'll, I'll very quickly bring on this before we go. I read a lot of Bill Bryson's books. I know Bill. He's read one of mine or two of mine. He's got this irreverence on his travels. He brings cats along with him or, you know, his mate. Or he, 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 he'll he be somewhere talking about something and then he'll go off on a tangent and he brings the reader along on his travels with him. That's what I try to do with my book, books. I try to bring in anecdotes to what a place is like, what it's like to go and visit these people, what sort of, you know, rickety old plane you travel in. So the reader becomes part of me and I become part of the reader. So we're on a coach trip together. Yeah, that's a great and, analogy. And then, then they know Christopher Berry D and then they know I talk straight. I don't bullshit anything. I cut out the psychobabble and the reader gets it because it's the, it. we don't need to hear all this BS from psychologists and psychiatrists who've never met a serial killer in their lives. I've met 30 of them and I've touched them and I've smelt them. Uh, you know, and being banged up in a room with them when they're unshackled or they can flip. The whole thing is, is I like the reader to see it. It's our children, our parents, our grandparents that are being murdered, especially in the States, for a handful of bucks. Let's say as it is. Makes sense. And again, the author is Christopher Barry D. And the book we kind of covered today, as well as some other books, is Talking with Psychopaths and Savages. Spree Killers and Mass Murders, published 2021. Christopher, thank you so much for your time. All right. God bless you all. Oh, God bless you too. Okay. So that'll go 